0: Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. All right, how many of you guys just want to keep watching? Anybody just want to keep, let's just do that. That'd be, that'd be good, that'd be good. All right, before we get going, before I tell you what that's all about, uh, one of our ministry leaders just during the time of worship felt like they, they just saw somebody getting set free from the spirit of anxiety, from anxiety. And so if that was you, just let that be a confirmation and be a word of the Lord to you this morning. Um, as we get into this new series, we are gonna go through the book of Ephesians and we're going to go through it all, okay? And it's going to take a little bit of time to go through, but in fact, today, I'm actually going to go through chapter one, all of chapter one, and we'll probably reference back to chapter one as we go through this series, but I want to do a basic overview. But how many of you guys remember, you just got taken back to the 80s when you saw that this morning, anybody? How many of you guys watched it, not as reruns, but you were watching it, you were waiting for it to come on? Yes, yes. I remember that and that, man, I love the A-Team. I still watch it from time to time. It reminds me, I mean, I just always found it fascinating through the whole series. I mean, I think I've watched every episode. Through the whole series, not one person I can ever remember died, ever, you know? They'd always flip those vehicles and they'd have to make sure they show you the shot of them getting out. They're okay, okay, they're okay, they're okay. Well, when I was a kid, we would pretend. I have four brothers, and so we would pretend like we were the 18. We had the van with the slide door and everything. It was awesome. I'm, t- I'm telling you, we did. And so uh, my older brother Jeremy was BA. Ben, he was face man. Jake was Murdoch, crazy Murdoch. And uh, my youngest brother Josh, you know there was he had to end up being that Ricky guy that came in, or whoever that other guy was. Sometimes Amy, if we needed an Amy. <laughs> And I'm not kidding. And so I always got to be Hannibal, the man with the plan. So I always liked that. I was Hannibal. I didn't have a cigar, but I always got to be Hannibal. And Hannibal's classic line is what? Somebody, can somebody say it? I love it when a plan comes together. And so today, we're going to use Hannibal's line. And we're going to just imagine for just a moment, as sacrilegious as it might be, that. We can somehow see God in Hannibal Smith or Hannibal Smith and God, whatever. But we're going to look because today we're going to be talking about that God has a plan for humanity. And, and from, God has a plan for humanity. So we're going to get into this Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So, Before we get into it, let me lay just a little bit of foundation for where we're at. Paul is writing, just like 1 Corinthians. We just got out of that series, 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing a letter to the Ephesians who live in a city called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a place that, and and by the way, these are called epistles. These are letters, and they were meant to be shared around to other churches, quite possibly. Uh, And no, for those of you guys who are wondering, epistles are not the wives of the apostles. Just clearing that up, okay? Just making sure that you guys know that. Uh, They are actually letters And so he was writing a letter. And this most likely got shared between different churches, but it was to the church in Ephesus. Now, if we can go back to what we looked at last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where is Paul? He's in Ephesus. He wrote the book of 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. In fact, when we talked last week about that great wide open door of effective work, yet there are many adversaries, what was he talking about? he was talking about the city of Ephesus, where he was at. And so it just kind of bridges and ties the two groups together. Now, Ephesus was a very spiritual city. They they liked spirituality. They were open to spirituality. They're open to spiritual things. They they practice magic and sorcery and different things like that. And they were hungry for spiritual things. But because of that, they they were very pluralistic. In other words, they believed in many gods and many spiritual things. And Paul comes in with a new brand of something they've maybe never heard about. It was a popular city uh, because it was a a capital of, of the area. And so what they had was a lot of trade coming in and out, a lot of goods and services coming in and out because of the rivers around it. And because of this, there were also a lot of people coming in and out. And whenever you have a lot of people coming in and out, you have a lot of ideas coming in and out. And that's where all of this pluralistic idea that all roads lead to God comes from. Now, Does that sound familiar to anybody today, this idea that there's a lot of spirituality, that all roads lead to God? This is not a foreign concept or uh, something that we have just now heard about in today's world. This is what's been happening throughout centuries and centuries and centuries. And so Paul stayed a couple years in the city of Ephesus, and it was much more probably than the other places that he visited. And he did a lot of great things there. So uh, this is kind of the setup. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This sounds like a, just a generic greeting to people, but I believe it's very strategic, again, because of who and what culture he's speaking into. He's speaking into a pluralistic culture that believes in many ways and many gods. And so he identifies here, he says, the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right from the beginning, he identifies what God is he's talking about. He's making that clear that this is, as we'll see as we get into this, there is only one true God, and he's laying the foundation for that. Now, as we get into this, I do want to lay a little bit more foundation before we get rolling here, and that's this. How many of you guys know that it's important not just to say what you're against? See, we have a lot of critics of any I, anything, fill in the blank, okay? Critics of church, critics of United States, critics of pol- politicians, critics of whoever, whatever, critics of family, cr- critics. It's not just important to say what you're against. It's important to also say what you're for, right? And so many times we get caught up in just saying what we're against. And sometimes you do have to bring correction. That's what Paul did in the book of 1 Corinthians. He was bringing a lot of corrections. But the interesting thing about the book of Ephesians is that he's actually in this book telling us what he's for. So that's pretty exciting. As we get into this, he's telling us what he's all about what he's for and so here's what he wants us to know about the book uh, or about what god is all about and the first thing is this that in the beginning god had a plan if you guys are thankful that in the beginning god had a plan god had a plan that he was going to be a father with a family and that's how this whole thing started out that's god's plan in the beginning god had a plan Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is again. He says it again. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, Pastor Aaron texted me this morning. He said, you could preach the whole sermon on that one verse, and maybe we'll get back to it from time to time. But it goes on in verse 4. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That in love is actually going into the next sentence, but I think it's appropriate to stop right there as well. Because genuine love and freedom is what God wanted as a part of his plan from the beginning. He wanted a family that would have genuine love towards him. That was part of the plan. Now. When you think about God having a plan, and then you also look at the world, and you see all the junk that's happening in the world, all the evil that happens in the world, all the stuff that happens in the world, sometimes we begin to wonder, if God has a plan, maybe He's not such a great planner. <laughs> because it doesn't look like <laughs> it doesn't look like things are planned very well. And if God is all-powerful, then why is there evil in the world? If God is is in control, then why is there sickness and death and and all of these things in the world? Uh, If God is in control and has a plan, then why do bad things happen? Is God even in control? How many of you guys would like to wrestle with that just with me this morning? Like, what's going on with that? You know, what is the deal with that? And since we see all of this stuff happening that we don't think looks like, A plan from God, if if God, you know, why didn't God just create a perfect world where there was no sin and there was no sickness and there was none of that? Well, here's how people respond to that. They come to two come to a couple different conclusions. One, God wants this to happen. God is bad. How could he cause bad things to happen? That's how some people say, Well, you know, you see all this stuff happening in the world. God wants this to happen, so God's bad. How could God do this? Some people don't want to go down that road, and so they take another approach. God wants this to happen. God is good. So everything that happens must be good. And God's plan is somehow all of this, and somehow all of this stuff is good. And so this is what happens, and people take these two different approaches. You know, when bad things happen in their life, they take, well, God is either bad, he wants this to happen, so God's, you know, I'm I'm not going to serve that, God's a monster, or God is good, God wants this to happen, and somehow everything is part of God's divine purposes and plan for my life. And that leaves out a third possibility. And the third possibility is this, that God's plan allowed for the possibility that things wouldn't go as planned. This is where people struggle. But but as we look at Scripture and as we're honestly wrestling with Scripture, God's plan did allow for things not to go according to a perfect plan. You see, why wouldn't God just create a perfect world where there was no sin, where there was no sickness, where there was no death? Well, you know what? He did. In the very beginning, there was no sickness, there was no death. It was a perfect world from the very beginning. But in God's master plan, God allowed for things to not go as planned. Why? Because God wanted to have genuine love. He didn't want to have a programmed people and a programmed response. Because if you force someone to love you, that's not love, is it? And so, as part of God's plan, He allowed for things to not go as planned, if necessary, and that's exactly what happened. So I say all that to say this, everything that happens is not what God wanted to happen. Everything that happened, now some of you guys, you're wrestling with this right now. Everything that's happened is not what God wants to happen. Could God have stepped in and stopped Adam and Eve from sinning? Yes. Did God want Adam and Eve to sin? Everything that happens is not what God wanted to happen. Could God step in at any moment in your life, in any of the bad decisions you've made, any of the bad things that have happened? Could God have stepped in? And again, people default back. Well, God is good. I believe God is good. So God must have wanted this to happen. This must be God's plan. And we somehow try to twist things and to fit everything into this whole timeline or storyline that everything that happens is somehow the, the will of God. And I'm going to show you how God doesn't want, everything that's happened, God doesn't want to happen. How many of you guys have ever made perfect plans and then somehow somebody made a decision that screwed that up in some way, shape, or form, right? It reminds me of a story of this guy who just freshly arrived at the gate of heaven. He shows up. There he is at the gate of heaven, and there's St. Peter standing at the gate. St. Peter's getting ready to take him on a tour. He starts to walk him around heaven just a little bit, and St. Peter, as he's walking him around, he says, you know, hey, wh- wh- what is the, if you're just, you know, we're just hanging out here talking. What's the What's the kindest thing you ever did while you were on the planet? And this guy, you know, he's thinking for a little bit. He's getting a tour of heaven. It's pretty cool, and he's thinking for a little bit, and he's like, you know what? Actually, I was driving in my car, and I saw on the side of the road, I saw this elderly lady, and she was being harassed by a gang of thugs. And so I pulled over the car. I got out. I went up to the leader who was the tallest one. He was tatted up. He had a nose ring. And I grabbed. The, I put my finger in the ring of his nose, and I pulled his face to mine, and I said, listen, if you don't leave her alone, you're going to have to mess with me. And St. Peter's like, Wow you did that? He's like, yeah, I did that. He's like, when did you do that? About three minutes ago. Sometimes you got the perfect plan and somebody makes a decision that kind of messes it all up. Sometimes things don't go according to plan because there are other people in your life that make decisions that mess up your plans. How many of you guys have ever experienced that? You guys, your children messed up your plans this morning already. Before we're done, or even get started, do you realize that this is what God did? God created a plan that would allow people the opportunity to mess it up, and in fact, that's exactly what they did. Let me tell you something. If 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 you are wrestling with this this morning, let me just encourage you. God is so secure and powerful that He chooses to not get what he wants all the time. God chose to let us choose. This is what, if you read the Bible, you can see this unfold all throughout Scripture. So everything that happens is not what God wants to happen. Let that wrestle with your mind for a little bit, okay? Let me prove it again. Jesus, how many of you guys believe that Jesus wants to heal? When he was on the planet walking around, he wanted to heal everybody. He did. And yet, Jesus goes to Jerusalem, his hometown, and the people would not honor him, and Jesus could not heal them. Jesus wanted to, but something happened where Jesus couldn't. So everything that Jesus wanted to happen on the planet didn't happen. Why? Because God chose to let us choose. And so God, this is is very important when you start to wrestle with the big issues of life. Okay? Because everything is not, you can't, we talk about the sovereignty of God and God's all powerful, God's in control and God's into everything. No, God created a plan where things may not go as planned. And he gave us that option. And in fact, that's good news when we start to figure out, try to figure out why these things are actually in the world, because it's not God doing them. It's not God. God has not caused everything. God is not creating these things. I'd say, in fact, God is against a lot of things that are happening on the planet. And for you who might be wrestling with evil or loss, then that's good news because we still serve a good God. We do. Things have not gone, gone according to God's preferred desire. Okay? So that's God's plan. Now, here's, here's the real good news. In verse... Er, er, not in. We just read verse 4, and and we're getting ready to read 5. Here's the good news. uh, Point number 3, that God had a plan for things not going as planned. In the beginning, God had a plan. And God planned for things to not go as planned, but God had a plan for things not going as planned. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So before the foundation of the earth, God had a plan. Because he knew that his plan wouldn't go according to plan. And so he created a plan even before the foundation of the earth. Said, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and glo- of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. There's a lot of theological debate that could happen right here at this verse. And I'm not going to get into all of that theological debate. We would be here for a long, long time. Uh, But I will draw some points here, and I will make this distinction that God knew before creation that he would have to have a plan to redeem what humans screwed up. He knew that he'd have to have a rescue plan even before he started the plan. Even before anything started, he had to have a plan of rescue, and God predetermined how he would get it done through adoption. He said, you guys are going to make yourself orphans, and I've already got a plan for how you're going to come back. And he decided that, predecided that before the earth even started. And let me just clear up some things, you know, and just let you know where we're kind of at here at Journey Church. If you think God has planned everything and every single thing, God, listen, what God has predestined is not the same thing as what God has foreknowledge of. Just because God knows it will happen does not mean he's causing everything to happen. There's a difference. And some people think, well, God knows it that all is going to happen. That's not the same as what God is making happen. Okay, just so here's his twofold plan A, redemption. This is what he's going to do. Ephesians 1 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness, redemption. How have you guys love forgiveness? Anybody love forgiveness? Oh, yeah, you ought to, we ought to love forgiveness. Forgiveness is a good thing. But here's the thing. Forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is not free. Forgiveness is a costly thing. It, it costs something. You cannot just go, when, when there's a wrong that's happened, you cannot just overlook evil. You can't just go up to some, Jesus isn't coming up and just saying, you know what? You sinned, not a big deal. I'm not even gonna worry about that. Forgiveness in that sense, in just simply overlooking evil and just, ah, whatever, that would almost be immoral. In fact, I'd say that is immoral. Why? Because you have, there are moral things that God has created, that this is right. This is an absolute. And if we were to come along and let's say Joseph over here, he comes along and and he screws something up really bad, and I come over to Joseph, I say, you know what, Joseph? It doesn't even matter. Doesn't even matter. there's no there's no it you know what that that thing it didn't even mean anything in that sense forgiveness is immoral because what it's doing is diluting the actual morality of what was needing to be there and so because of that there has to be a cost whenever there's an infraction and so god is holy and yet he forgives how is this how is this happening the blood of jesus christ there was a cost. You say, well, how does this work out in my life? How, how does it, I mean, because I'm not going to like jump up on a cross and die for somebody every time they need to be forgiven. How does this work out? Well, it looks like on the surface, if, if you have wronged me and I go up and I say, ah, I forgive you. It looks like on the surface that there was no cost to that. But how many of you guys know there was a cost to that, wasn't there? You think about a marriage when there's an adultery committed or something like that, and let's say the wife has to forgive the husband, and, and she does. That was not without cost. She has to carry around that there was a covenant that was broken. That, I mean, she has to cover the participation in that whole event. That can, there's a lot of cost to forgive, isn't there? Let me put it this way. If you have some people right now that you have not forgiven, it's, because, it's not because it's because It's free. It's because you're not willing to bear the cost to forgive. But Jesus did. And thank God what he's given, we get to give out too. So he made a plan. It was redemption. It was forgiveness. That was part of the great plan that God has. If you need to forgive someone now, thank God that he forgave you. And he bore that cross to give you a power to forgive someone else. So God predetermined, predecided that he would make a way through grace. That you couldn't earn your way back. That even though the plan got off the rails, he allowed for that. That that he would predetermine a way back and that's called grace. Now, verse 8. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's several layers to this, but the basic point is this God's plan was a mystery. For many, many centuries and throughout the children of Israel, they, they kind of knew about the plan, but they, it was still a mystery. But now the plan has been revealed in Jesus Christ. It was a truth that was once hidden that's now made known. How many of you guys like surprises? Anybody like birthday surprises? You get surprise birthday parties? How many of you guys hate surprise birthday parties? Anybody? Okay, some of you guys like surprise, but how do you guys like to give a surprise to somebody? Anybody? Sometimes I'll, I'll do that. There have been times with my wife where I would just pack up all the stuff and uh, pack up a whole bag and not tell her about that and just show up, and she thinks we're just driving somewhere, and all of a sudden we go on a trip or something like that. Hey, guys, no, that. you win a lot of points doing that, right? <laughs> you guys need to think about that. Uh, Birthday parties, surprise Christmas. I love surprises. I love to surprise my wife in other ways. I've shared this story before, but some of you guys probably haven't heard this, that uh, years ago, uh, uh, one of the ways I love to surprise my wife I was working late one time, and, and she was already home, and I knew it was about time that she'd be getting ready for bed and stuff. And I thought, wow, well, she doesn't know I'm coming home yet. I'm just going to surprise her, that I'm going to show up at home. And uh, she doesn't expect me at home, And so I start to show up, to drive into the driveway, I shut off the lights and very sneakily get into the driveway. She has no clue that I'm there. I sneak into the house, the lights are off. I can hear her getting ready for bed in the bathroom. So I snuck into the house, slithered into the bedroom, slithered under the covers. (laughs) And she has no idea that I'm there. This would not be wise to do, and I laid real still and tried not to breathe, which is really hard to do. And she came in and, and laid on her side, and I just waited patiently, which was the hardest part. Little light shining in from these sunlight or these these uh, windows that we had just on there, and I just waited. And then I slowly pulled the covers off my face and turned towards her. I almost ended up meeting St. Peter that day. That's where it almost went. I mean, you have never seen a reaction that almost cost me my life right there. And so, but I love surprises. She didn't love them as much as I did that day. But I can't help but think, when I think about this, I can't help but think God, knowing about the mystery, knowing about the surprise he had in store. I can't just help but God was getting excited about it. And throughout the years, and throughout the people of Israel, and they were going, he would give hints to the Old Testament prophets. He would say, guys, I got a surprise coming. I got a surprise. And he'd give him little hints here and there. And then finally he he let the cat out of the bag and he opened up the surprise and there was Jesus unveiling the mystery. What an amazing thing that we get to be a part of this mystery. We get to see it revealed. It's an amazing thing. And he unveils this plan of redemption, of forgiveness. We're going to look in just a second at the inheritance that he talks about, about the Holy Spirit that's given and, and about this ultimate victory. And so this whole thing, it starts in a garden. You know, it, all picture perfect. The plans don't go according to plan. And, and at the end, we know the end of the story. You know this thing ends back up in a garden, right? At the end, in a city, in a garden. In this, it's just a beautiful thing. And one day God's going to set all these things back in place and make everything unified again. Verse eleven: In Him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might have might be to the praise of His glory. Here's, here's the plan. I sum it up this way: the life of Christ for life in Christ. It was going to take the life of Christ. Before we could have life in Christ. You see that, word, that phrase, in Christ, in him, in him, in Christ, over and over and over again, 30-something times probably in this book. Because there's something so important about this door that's been opened for us to be in Christ. So the first part of the plan was redemption. Now there's much more. We'll get into this as we get into the subsequent weeks. But let me just simplify it by saying the second part of his plan is return. That one day Jesus is going to return no, for those of you guys keeping track on the news, it didn't happen yesterday, for those of you guys wondering about that. In fact, I thought about not preparing a sermon today, but I made the right call. So, But one day, Jesus will return, and that's all a part of his plan. Verse 13, in him you also, here it is again, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, We're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So in the midst of this redemption, we're given the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So we have the Holy Spirit been given to us. And and one day he's saying, this is kind of like a guarantee for one day when then the whole thing happens. I look at it this way. Jesus left behind the Holy Spirit. He said, it'd be better that you have the Holy Spirit than I'm walking around, and I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be a down payment of what's going to happen next. It's going to be a foretaste. You're going to get to see a a window into what's going to happen. He's a down payment. There's more to come. This is the preview, but there's a lot more to come. And so even though they had encountered Christ, they had the Holy Spirit, Paul still prays for them. Why why does he pray for them? Let's look at this in verse fifteen. He says, "For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers." Have you guys have encountered God before? And yet, at the time, we—I mean, you still need to encounter God more, right? We still need. And so, Paul prays for them to encounter God more. This is why, in verse seventeen, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. He prays that even though they've encountered God, even though they've received the Holy Spirit, that their eyes would still be opened more, that their eyes would continue to open. Why? Because we lose sight of this great mystery sometimes, from time to time. Sometimes, even though the mystery has been revealed, and we know the plan of redemption, we know the, the plan of God's return, and we know the inheritance that we have, and we know the great, we know that we have the Holy Spirit, we begin to have our eyes dimmed. And Paul was praying for them, as much, and that's what I pray for us today, that we would have our eyes opened to this great mystery, that our eyes would not lose its vision, that we would constantly see better and see more. How many of you guys would like to see better and to see more of what God's plan is? It, it reminds me of how many of you guys, when you're a kid, some of you guys aren't old enough for this, but I, I had an Atari when I was a kid. I don't know what it is with the 80s today. Aaron likes the 80s, so. Uh, but uh, the, we played Pong. Have you guys have played Pong before? You remember this? Let me help you out just a little bit. That's what it is right there. Look at those graphics. I mean, it's just blowing you away. And we would play that for hours and hours as a kid. Boop, 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 boop. And we'd just do that all the time. And then pretty soon, they came out with the Nintendo and Mario. And, and we had this. How do you guys remember that? And I was, when I first saw that, I was like, Mario looks real. <laughs> How did they do that? And I thought, there is no way that they can improve. Yeah, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't go too fast just yet. Because then they came up with, yeah, yeah, they went from this, and then they went to this one. I'm, I'm pointing at the screen because I can see it over here. They went to the next one. Let's go to the next one. Then they came up with the N64. And I'm like, how are they ever going to get any more realistic than this? <laughs> how many of you guys felt that way? I'm like, this is like three-dimensional. Like, I mean, I can see like warts on him and stuff. This is just amazing. And for me, I went and, and played Madden. So I'm I, the first incarnation of Madden football, how many of you guys ever played that? It, no, no, the other one. Nope. The other one, back one. The, there might be, I might have not given you the other one. Okay. This one's good. This is good. This is Brett Favre. And I remember thinking that looks exactly like Brett Favre. How did they do that? And I began to play and I just thought, there's no way they will ever be able to improve upon this. I remember sitting there thinking that. There is no, how are they going to get any better than this? This looks so realistic. And then, uh, then they come, now Madden is, you know, you've got this right here. And now I'm thinking there's no way they're going to be able to improve upon this. This was actually Madden four years ago, a screenshot, uh, according to the internet. Okay. Um, yeah, you can take it down now. I'm just like, wow. And that's what I think it's like with God. Because at first you see something, you're like, how can it get any better than this? And then all of a sudden, something else is coming out. And you're like, wow, this is so clear. Now I see it clearly. This is amazing. There's no way it can get any better than this. And then. You know what this is called, this whole process? Revelation. That we would have our eyes continually unfolding and opening. When The first time I, I remember seeing a Blu-ray player in, in Best Buy on one of their big screens. I just thought I could just walk right in. It just seemed so clear. And now I'm like, I've got, I bought a Blu-ray, Blu-ray player back in the day for like $300 and something dollars. Yeah, this is when they first came out. I thought... It takes forever to load a Blu-ray. I don't know what it is, but it, I'm sitting there waiting forever, you know. But back then, I didn't care. I'd just wait forever because this is just the best thing on the planet. And that's what revelation is like. The further you get in Christ, the more things your eyes can be open to. The more things you can see. That's called revelation. And as we get into this book of Ephesians, we're going to see more of this. We're going to see more, and hopefully our eyes will be opened. We'll see more of the hope of his calling. We'll see more of the riches of of his inheritance. We'll see more of the good things that are ahead. We'll see more about our eternal home. We'll see more layers of dimension to the redemption and to the grace that God has for us. But our eyes get dull from time to time, and we need to say, God, open up my eyes. We've all had those moments where sin is very clear to us. What we need to have is more moments when our Savior is clear to us. Where he is clear. All right, let's wrap this up. Verse 20. That he worked, the greatness of his might, that, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. This is part of the return. This is part of the gospel. He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. He, listen, God is on the throne. He's still above all. There's nothing that, that it, God doesn't have victory over that God is not powerless to. It doesn't matter if it's today or tomorrow or what you're worried about next week or worried about next year or what, what your kids are going to do. God is still on the throne. He's still large and in charge. And so it says he's above all. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And when we lose sight of the victory on the cross, here's what happens in the things under his feet. What happens is the mystery that's been revealed becomes more of a mystery again. And sadly, this happens through circumstances, through experiences, and through bad theology. Where we try to make sense out of things by blaming God for things he never did. We try to attribute to God what is not God's because we don't understand the mystery of the plan. All right. There is no spiritual power in the universe that can compare to Jesus Christ. Do I even need to say that in this place? But I'm going to say that. Not not now. There's nothing that compares. Not now, nor will there ever be. Not, Not now, nor will there ever be. So whatever you are facing this morning, Jesus is above it all. Jesus is above it all. Jesus, is, he's got riches for you. He's got an inheritance for you. He's got grace for you. He's large and in charge. Nothing's too big for God because he's over it all. He's above it all. God is in control, but we have to put our trust in the Father's plan. In the beginning, God had a plan. Part of God's plan is that things might not go according to plan. But God had a plan for when things didn't go according to plan. And today, God has a plan for your life, and we can step into that, and, but we've got to trust the Father's plan. We don't get to see it all, but we can ask for our eyes to be opened as we get into it, and the more and more. A lot of times, God will just give you enough light for the next step. That's all right. Take the step. Let the mystery unfold as you go. Take the step. Years ago, When I was on vacation, we went to Wisconsin Dells. Has anybody ever been to Wisconsin Dells up there where they've got, it's like the water park capital of the world or something like that, and they have water parks everywhere. And we got this great deal on this hotel that had several water parks attached inside the complex. We didn't even have to leave. And so we just spent days on end in water parks. And at the time, I only had four kids. My kids were much younger. And so we just spent a lot of time there. It was great. We had a lot of fun. But there was this one place that was one of our favorite places, and it was the wave pool area. How many of you guys have ever been in a wave pool? I've been, on, I've been to the ocean, both sides, and the Gulf, so I know what the ocean's like. I know what the waves are like, but there was something really cool about just being inside a place that looks like a beach with actual waves going. And at this particular place, they had up on the wall an, a big old picture of an elephant, and whenever the elephant would trumpet, the waves would start. Why an elephant? I have no idea. But we went out there, and we're having fun. We're having a blast in the waves, getting tossed back and forth. Everybody having a great time except for my youngest daughter, who was really little at the time, my youngest daughter, Rachel. And she was scared of the waves. She didn't want to be a part of the waves. She wanted to stay away from the waves. And so me being the good dad that I am, I made her go out in the waves, (laughs) which is what you do. And so we're out there. In the stillness, because what would happen is the, the waves would go, and then you know how it goes. They stop the water just to make sure nobody's still in the water, I guess. And then they'll let it be silent and calm for a couple minutes, and then they'll start it up again. So it was silent and calm. And so we, I pushed her out on a raft, and we went clear to the deep side, and we're right by the elephant, and we're ready to go. And she's intensely. Nervous, there's a nervous energy. There's clear water, you can see several feet of clear water beneath us. And she's on this raft, and she is just we're just waiting in nervous energy. And pretty soon, the elephant makes this big blast sound, and her eyes get big, and she's hanging on for dear life. And the waves start to slowly roll, and then pretty soon, they get really, really big. And we're just going up and down on these waves. And all of a sudden, I saw this tense look on her face turn into a smile. And she began to laugh, and she began to have a great time, and we just had a great time, and pretty soon it even toppled us over, and we were under the water, and she's still laughing under the water somehow, and it pulled her back up, and she didn't, I mean, we got done with that. The waves stopped, and she was not turning back. She wanted out there for the rest of the time. Why? Because she learned to trust her dad. And I'm one of those dads that if I promise my kids something, It's a promise that won't be broken. If I have to get on an airplane to go buy a certain type of ice cream that I promised I would get, it's going to happen. I would have to die to not keep one of my promises. Listen, God has made us some great promises, hasn't he? He's made a great plan. And we can learn to trust his plan. Or we can sit out on the shore and miss out on what God has for us. But today, I want you just to lean in and trust the Father's plan, no matter what you're going through. Jeremiah, let me close with this last verse. We're going to have the worship team come back up. Uh, Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This, that's true of Jeremiah. That's true of us. Even before the foundations of the earth, God knew us. God loves, he knows, again, what God has foreknowledge of is not the same as what God has predestined. He has knowledge that you are going to drift away and maybe sin and go off and to do things not according to his plan. But the good news is God has a plan when your life is drifting away from his plan. It's redemption and one day his return. And so as we close up, we're gonna come to the table again. We did this last week. We're gonna come to the table and we're going to Just trust our life, our questions, our ifs or what ifs, to the Father's plan. Because God has so much more for us to see if we would just, through revelation, have our eyes opened. And so today as we close up, we're just going to come to the table and just say, God, I trust you. I trust your plan. I trust my life into your hands and it's going to be good and it's going to be good so can you stand with me we're going to pray then we're going to come and get the elements of the communion take them back to your seat receive communion during this next song and then I'll close up Lord we thank you so much for your ultimate plan that two-fold plan of redemption and return Lord we thank you that the first one that mystery's been revealed and we get to walk in it we get to walk in the, the, that unveiled mystery of forgiveness of redemption the inheritance that we have in you the riches of your grace and glory Lord as we come to the table we're reminded of that sacrifice that was enacted to pay for that so that forgiveness isn't free it was very costly and we're reminded of the cost this morning and we're also reminded of your victory because of that we know that our life is safe in your hands And in fact, as we put our life in your hands, it's better than any type of life that we could produce on our own. So Lord, we rest in that as we come to the table and we're so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come to the table. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.